0: We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host John, and I'm your host Ahmed. And today we have a really exciting episode uh, with with our guest Ryan Brady, who joined us from Madrid today. Which was, I think, only the second time that we've had a guest in outside of North America, but very cool. And um, Ryan tells us like a lot about his just life, his life story, and. Um, you will see very soon that um, you th- there is there's going to be a moment of the story that was just so unexpected to me, and I don't want to ruin it for you when you're listening to it. Just because you know, like you may have realized, we record our intros after we record the episode, so <laughs> I'm not going to ruin the surprise. But uh, I think that's okay.
1: obvious at this point. But
0: yeah, okay. The one Let, thing I want yeah, to say, yeah, just it's Im- let's just it's get impressive. Right into it yeah we'll get into it
1: but i just want to say it's impressive that he is a tedx speaker so that's a nice little yes. flex but uh yeah let's just get into it a lot of cool let's, stuff Chocolate info yep let's do it
0: Hey guys, just wanted to shout out Zencaster, our platform of choice for recording remotely with our guests. Uh, they're sponsoring this episode, so tune in later to hear more about some really great offers. Hey y'all, we're really excited to tell you about Black Ice, the black-owned jewelry business owned by Sean Moore, uh, our previous guest on the Black Box podcast. If you think, if you think about it, Black Ice and like Black Box. It's like it's it's almost like it's meant to be. Oh,
1: exactly. Um yeah, but you know we like to focus on investing in the show. So, you know, we kind of look at it as we're partnering up with a asset class, you know, jewelry is considered an investment and with the, you know, stock market and crypto being pretty volatile right now and most for the most part going down, um jewelry, especially precious metals, you know, gold and silver, those tend to preserve their value really well. So, you know, that's also another reason why we think it's a a good opportunity. But also, you know, I've worked with Sean in the past. I got a gift from my mother actually for Mother's Day. It was a pretty, a relatively custom piece, nothing crazy, but you know, Sean was quick. He was easy. He was responsive. The price was fair. And you know, we just met up and transaction was easy and my mom loved the
0: gift. So yeah, if this all sounds good to you, check out Black Ice's website at Black Ice NYC um, and at a- all socials. And Uh, there's a V instead of an A for the black. So as you guys are probably used to with little letter substitutions by us, but you could find stock goods there. And Sean also specializes in custom goods with quick turnaround times.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sean does great custom pieces. I've seen a bunch of them on his social media, but, um, yeah, he's also good for sourcing, you know, like watches, specific Rolexes, anything like that they are looking for. He can also get you a better price. And, you know, if you're going to, you know, a bigger name shop or someone that you don't really know that might try to gouge you on the price. So along with that, it's also supporting an upcoming entrepreneur. He's had a lot of success. He just celebrated his one year anniversary of the business, had a really nice party. And, um, let's get back to the show
0: all right dope hey Ryan thanks so much for uh, for joining us today yes um, let's uh, let's get started by just having you introduce yourself um, and we, we we were talking right before we started recording but we'll get back to where we were but before then
2: for sure uh, well first thank you guys uh, so much for actually having me on yeah um, I know it's a Sunday, so not everybody wants to actually do work on Sunday, so I appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to chat. Um, Thank you. I am from the Bay Area, uh, born and raised. I'm in Madrid, Spain now. I work remotely for a fantastic company called Digital Prodigy based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, We do the full stack mobile app development, so everything from ideation with the founder all the way through to marketing the app, setting it up with ASO, which is like... SEO for the app store, so your app ranks higher, um, and then setting it up with marketing plans so you can actually get users on your app and monetize it. Um, But I didn't just randomly get that job after ending college. It was a lot of entrepreneurial endeavors that we were talking about before um, we started recording that led up to that, securing that job.
1: I guess you want to kind of run us down those previous endeavors that kind of led you up to this point again?
2: Of course. Yeah. So, uh, I guess it, it, it all, and I didn't mention this to you guys before, but it all went back. It all started for me. I um, mean, I had to really think about this to figure out where it, it started because entrepreneurship is not for everybody. It's there's highs, there's lows. It, it's hard. Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's, I mean, you guys know this, you guys are entrepreneurs. You, you, you know what it's like. Um, so it started on August 30th, 2017. I was uh, driving. Wait, did you
1: say August 30th? Yeah. That's my birthday. But that's-, <laughs> that's hilarious.
2: Wow.
0: Wait, really?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's why I was driving a different car that morning, uh, which led to what I'm about to tell you. So um, I was driving to school that morning. It was 7.30. Um, I was with my younger brother at that time. He was 15. I was 17. And we were going to go pick up my my friend before school and um, we were driving. I was not a smart teen. Uh, I was speeding. The speed limit was 25 miles an hour. I was going 39. Um, and the road was really curvy and I didn't think anything of it. I thought, oh, this is cool, whatever. Um, if anything happens, it was, you know, whatever. I was born and raised in this bubble. I never really left this bubble. It was, oh, I'll always be okay no matter what happens. I have a family, a mom, a dad, a school system. I'll get the dream job one day. I can just, you know, do whatever I want now. It's no no problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, as I'm speeding, I go around a turn and there's a construction truck in the middle of the road. And if I was driving the speed limit, it would not have been a problem. I could have just pushed the brakes and it would have been okay. Right. Uh, but because I was speeding, I realized, okay, if I hit the brakes, the car is just going to go, you know, haywire and crash into this construction truck, which head-on collision at 39 miles per hour would probably kill me, kill my brother, and kill this driver as well. Um, And so I made the decision. It was instinctual. Uh, It was in in less than like half a second I made this decision, which was to turn to the right to avoid this truck. But to the right, there was no road. Uh, There was an 80-foot cliff, and we went off the cliff, car flipped six times on the way down. And um, I was really lucky that my brother didn't get anything besides a few scratches. And we were just sitting one foot apart. Um, but me just sitting, like I said, one foot apart from him, uh, I broke my neck, my back, my wrist, my elbow, my collarbone. And I had something called a traumatic brain injury TBI as it's known. And I was in a coma for a week and oh I'm not goodness. sure if you guys are familiar with TBIs, but they're, They're like fingerprints in the sense that each one is totally unique. Even concussions that you get playing soccer or football are TBIs technically. Um, It's
1: like a more severe kind of version of that.
2: Right. When you get a, when you get, you you hit your head hard and you're playing football, they'll tend to call it a concussion, but that's just a very low level TBI. Um, And so mine affected me in a very interesting way. Um, I woke up from the coma and it, wiped out my long term memory. And that was tough. Um, but I forgot two things that we all learn as kids. At age seventeen, this was the set the sixth day of my senior year of high school. What do you guys think those two things that I forgot were? And most humans know these two things when they're they're kids, they learn them.
1: How to tie your shoes?
2: Think think uh something that bigger <laughs> Say it again. That's
1: just a generic, Sorry. that's a generic thing that you learn when you're a kid. I, like. <laughs> uh,
0: I would say saying, saying thank you. Maybe. I don't know. So uh, that was interesting.
2: I, I wish it was just forgot how to apply shoes and say, thank you. Uh, I forgot how to walk and I forgot how to speak my first language, which was English. And so to compensate, oh TBI, uh, I had lived in Mexico the summer before and I woke up from the coma and could only, I could understand English just fine, but I could only speak and produce in Spanish, Uh, which was really interesting because, you know, in California, in the Bay Area, there's a lot of Spanish speaking nurses, thankfully. uh, But they would come in and start speaking to my parents in Spanish. And my parents were like, no, hablo espanol. And then they'd start talking to me in Spanish. It was all good. Um, So they laughed at that. But that was what really got me started. It Indirectly, in entrepreneurship, I didn't, you know, wake up from the coma and said, "I'm going to start a business." No, not at all. Uh, it took about two years for me to fully recover from that. Um, I graduated on time, thankfully. It was a lot of hard work, um, but that experience really showed me that I-, I thought I had to get straight A's in all my classes to go to a good college, to get a good job, and then I could live the dream life, um, whatever that was supposed to be. But this experience happened to me, and it was okay. I left class. I spent an entire semester doing homeschool. Um, and I was still okay. I didn't get straight A's in my classes and the world didn't end weird. Uh, but that really just showed me that, Hey, you can, if you take a step outside the, what we know is the the school system or the the normal system we have of the nine to five, it's not the end of the world and you're going to be okay. Um, and so, I realized, okay, I want to take a different life path um, than what I would see as normal. And I thought, at that point, I thought I wanted to study international relations. And I saw, I had some older friends that were studying it, and they were all in the US studying it and were, you know, sitting on the edge of their seat to study abroad. And I thought, okay, why don't I take, why don't I first take a gap year in Madrid to see if I like the culture, the people, the lifestyle? And then why don't I do all my undergrad there so I can essentially be studying abroad for four years and then travel for way cheaper than it would be from us to Italy. I mean, from yeah. Italy, to Italy in, the, in the summer, you can get it for like 17 euros, which is now because it's euros one to one. That's the, the train, right? No, it's a plane the, plane. Yeah. Plane ticket, which in the U S it's at least find. 500
1: to a thousand.
2: Hey, all right.
0: Can I, I, can I just like include one thing? Sure. I feel like, um, I've been watching a lot of a lot of YouTube about just cities around the world, and something I've noticed is that um, I don't know if I'm speaking for ev- for everyone, but as someone who's spent like their whole life in the U.S., um, at least like living in the U.S., I feel like it's so easy pe- for people in the U.S. to just forget about the rest of the world and how the majority of people don't live in the U S hmm. or the overwhelming majority of people don't, but in the I lifestyles
1: can, are way different. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's very different. But
0: damn 17 euros for a flight is unbelievable.
2: Yeah. It's crazy. And, uh, on my gap year there, I took a flight, uh, from, it was like the spring break and the gap year was just four hours of Spanish class a day. And that was just painful to sit through so many hours of Spanish class, but it was so, so worth it. Um, Cause now, you know, living there, um, speaking with people in Spanish all day, being really immersed and taking the classes, it really was what I needed at that time. Um, but on the spring break, I took a trip from Madrid to London to Paris, back to Madrid. And minus the the hostel-, hostel cost. How much do you guys think that that was for the three cities in one week?
1: In one week? Um,
0: only I, a few I mean, hundred a few hundred dollars do you have a guess i would guess um two i'm gonna i mean you said 17 euros to start us off so i'm gonna go really long go 180 euros
2: 40 euros
1: oh my gosh <laughs> what is that just you travel hacking your way around or like no, you just so, finding good deals or
2: well it's not necessarily travel hacking um there's just this airline that's It's very well known, uh, in Europe, at least called Ryanair. And it's a really smart business model. Actually, they give the cheapest flights on the market. But if you bring like a a checked bag or a a carry on besides just like a backpack on the, under the seat, they'll charge you like $50 for that. And that's how they make their money. Um, so you can just bring a backpack and you're all good and you don't have to pay any surcharges or anything like that. So I had that year, um, and I came back and I was working before I, before I came on and did the gap year, I worked about six months at a, a cafeteria bakery, um, and made some good money. Only made like, uh, it was like five grand and I was 17 at the time and it was enough for me to travel and pay for my own food. I was, I was very adamant on my parents not paying for any of my own food and my travel when I was here It was kind of like a first, you know, taste of independence as an 18 year old. Um,
1: yeah.
2: And went out and came back um, after the first gap year the first year I was in Madrid um, and worked the entire summer again. And it was working mornings, which was tough because it was 6am to 2pm. But then I would go back, um, go back home and I would just read books. Cause I, when I was on the gap year, I had um, only four hours of school a day. So school ended at one I had the whole day to do whatever I wanted, which was work okay. now, YouTube, whatever it was. And I saw this YouTuber named uh, Graham Stefan, who you guys are probably very familiar with. You, yep. Ahmed, you know, real estate, you probably know him very well. Um, mm-hmm. And in one of his videos, he recommended um, a book, which was The 4-Hour work week. And
1: I've heard of that one, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a really good one. Um, and that was what gave me the first taste of entrepreneurship. Uh, and so after I would get off work at 2 p.m., um, I would go back home and just read 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 journal 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 plan out what i was trying to do um and just try to figure stuff out because you guys probably know this really well it's like your first dip into entrepreneurship um and i, I heard alex and say this the other day in one of his videos like jeff bezos is a it's a one like he is one of the rare ones that the first company they start it you know <laughs> becomes
1: usually you're it, th- yeah the first try is a catastrophic failure
2: <laughs> exactly right and so um, I, you know, and this, and my experience was, it really was, but I'm so glad that I had that failure to learn everything. I you need them. Yeah, exactly. To learn. Um, and so I started that company. Um, well, I was having to get the student visa again to go back to Spain the next year to go to university here. Uh, and when I was driving, when my dad was driving me to Sacramento, the capital in California to get, um, what's called an apostille of egg, which is like the international notary stamp basically that's valid in all, all all around the world. Um, and when we were on that ride, I I asked him, Hey dad, you know, I'm reading this book and they're talking about high income skills. I'm 18. I don't really know. I speak Spanish, but you know, that's like a lot of people speak Spanish. It's not what I would think is high income. What do you think that I could help teach people? Um, and Coincidentally, we were driving to Sacramento to get the apostille peg to get that document for the student visa, uh, mm. and I had to figure out how to get all these documents. And I realized on this drive, okay, the the consulate of uh, consulate general of Spain in San Francisco will tell you all the documents you need to get, but and they'll you know list them out for you, but they won't tell you how to get them. You got to do all the googling and, and all the figuring it out and the research to learn how to get those documents. Yeah. And so I thought, hey, why don't I make a course and an online course? And that was the product of study abroad student at the time Um, and worked on the course. Um, I built the entire course in like one weekend because I was so happy about it, passionate about it. I had like my iPhone flashlight above my uh, like above my computer for the lighting and all that kind of stuff. Um, Really just like got really scrappy to make that. Um, yeah. and built the website myself on WordPress. I had no idea how to code. So I just put some stuff together, some templates. Um, and then I visited a friend in Ecuador actually, and was telling him about the idea. And he said, dude, you don't have an Instagram account for it. I said, no, I, I don't like Instagram. I'm, I would never want to post, you know, photos of myself and the company on Instagram. It's just, I think it's so cringe when people try to show off on Instagram to do like, this is your business. You've got to get an Instagram account for your business. I thought, oh, okay, interesting.
1: Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with Zencaster, the process becomes much easier. Zencaster is an all in one web based solution that makes the process pretty painless and simple. Um, Zencaster allows to bring you guys, our listeners, the best quality by providing crystal clear audio and gorgeous HD video when we record with our guests. Uh, Zencaster is also easy to use for new users and guests. So, you know, when we have people on the podcast who haven't used a platform before, we pretty much just tell them to show up with a computer mic and uh, headphones, and you're pretty much good to go. Um, Zencaster is pretty plug and play. Uh, but from local recording to automated post-production tools, you don't even have to leave the browser to finish off your episode. Use the code zen.ai slash Blackbox and enter our promo code Blackbox. You'll get 30% off the first three months of Zencaster Pro it's time to share your story. I guess that was just to butt in for a second. Yeah. Um, I guess that was like pre Instagram or like as Instagram was becoming like way more of a marketing platform that it is today. This right. Story. Cause it used to just be more like maybe some ads from a celebrity, but like mostly selfies and still like videos of where you, what concert you went to.
2: That's, that was my perspective in, of Instagram, but I was also 18 and I didn't know the business side of Instagram at that time. I had just seen it as oh, yeah. people go to parties, take photos, post it on there. I didn't understand we could use it for business. This was in either 2018 or 2019 at this time. Um, and so he helped me cause he had, he had made an Instagram account um, and for his drone business so he would take drone videos of tourists that came to visit ecuador and would go hiking or whatever and he would like be their drone cameraman um, it was a cool business mm-hmm. idea uh, and so he taught me how to build the actual instagram account uh, and i came back to spain and worked on the instagram account a lot and i thought okay i'll get so many followers and they'll just buy the course that i have linked in the bio I didn't know Mm -hmm. about click funnels or I didn't know about internet marketing or anything like that and how any of that worked at that time. I just thought if you build it, they will come. Uh, I have a shiny Instagram profile that you're going to buy from me. Uh, Boy, was that wrong? And so (laughs) I was was trying to make content. I didn't know it was content at that time. I just thought it's videos on Instagram. Uh, And I was going around the campus I was on, and this was actually really fun for me. I was, there's, this campus has about 30, 30, 40,000 people on it from all over the world. And a lot of them were mm-hmm. studying abroad. A lot of them were from Spain that studied there. Um, and so I would walk around listening for an American accent. I would just walk around campus listening until I heard, you know, people talking in American accent and said, Hey, are you guys studying abroad here? Um, and they said, yeah, yeah. What? I said, you from the U.S.? I said, yeah. Would you, would you be open to me interviewing you or taking a, uh, few minutes to record a clip um, like we could do it right now if you want and some of them were very kind about it helped me some of them were like f off whatever it was all good right it was a good uh, experience to learn entrepreneurship and what was
1: step out of your comfort zone
2: exactly you know going up taking rejection um one of the big things in sales you got to know how to do is taking rejection um and so it was a very very big step out of my comfort zone and then what happened was I was getting pretty distracted by all the party life in Madrid. Um, you know, I had my own apartment for the first time. So there was, you know, I was hosting house parties, having girls over. Like it was just a, a new life for me. And I thought, Oh yeah, I'm independent. Wow. My parents were paying the rent for me. So it was not independent at all. It just felt like that in my head. Um, yeah. And so then COVID came, uh, and no, actually it was before COVID in February of 2020. Um, my, my, my friend who's from Madrid, he was another student entrepreneur. He had a a clothing business. He was working on, you know, a, a pretty typical like business for an 18, 19, 20 year old to start. Uh, and we were saying, okay, we're both getting kind of distracted, whether it's going out to bars, clubs, going to parties, But we know we want to focus more on our business. But it's hard to do that when you have all these opportunities and people say, hey, come out, come to this club. Um, You know, in Madrid, you can go out. Distractions. Right. You can go out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, if you want to. Um, And it's just very distracting, like you mentioned. And so we got together and we thought, okay, um, why can't we – live together and get some other student entrepreneurs that are having the same struggles that we are. And kind of, we didn't know what to call it at the time. We ended up calling it uh, the five powers called living incubator. And we got a total of started with including us to five, five of us. Um, and then we had two say, no, um, and cancel like one month before school started. So that was one of those, you know, the lows of entrepreneurship where it's like, you know, shit hits the fan and you gotta figure some stuff out. Um and yeah. Yeah. what I ended up doing was just going into a bunch of Facebook groups that were international students looking for housing in Madrid, which was hard at the time um because it was the epicenter of COVID at the time. And a lot of people weren't going to university in person at that time. And so it was uh, like getting people not only that are, you know, we talk about niches in entrepreneurship, right? This was just a very, very small specific niche. It was international students that speak English studying in Madrid uh, between ages 18 and 22 that are motivated, that have entrepreneurial goals in the future um, that are still coming to the to Madrid yeah. during COVID that are going to go to school in person. Um, and there was a lot, a lot, a lot of direct messages that we had to send um, to make that happen, but we made it work and it ended up being four of us, uh, me from the U.S., Tomas from uh, from Spain, from Madrid, um, Manuel from France, and then Kim, who's from Dubai. And it was a really cool environment that we created um, with, you know, people from different places around the world, but all had, Interesting, you know, longer term goals. And um, then when we were there, that was when I, over the summer, I was working an internship for a guy named Rob Dow. He's a really cool podcaster. Um, And I ended up working as kind of like an appointment setter through his Instagram account um, and ended up joining one of his like how to make a coaching business challenges. And I, I thought, you know, I was 19 at the time. Like, there's no way I can be a coach. What do I know what to do? Um, and did that challenge. It was four days and pivoted the study abroad student business from student visa course sales, which had gone totally digital, which was one of the things my dad told me, Ryan, you can't make a product when it's like the government's going to change their policies every few years anyways. It doesn't make sense. Um, but I didn't listen to him And essentially pivoted that business to a coaching business, which was for students that are studying abroad, not the 99% that study abroad to party um, and just have a good time because grades don't really matter when you study abroad from as an American going to Europe or wherever you go. Um, You're kind of just there to get the experience and meet new people and travel. Um, So that's like the 99% of the students. And I wanted to, make a coaching company that was for that 1% of students that wanted to study for self-development, for personal growth, which is also mm-hmm. something that's not very common for people between 18 and 22. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. And ended up, I, you know, that was something I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying new things and trying to make it work out. Ended up having two interns, one running the Instagram, one making TikToks. Um Two no yeah, two other salespeople besides me and then um three coaches. So three other people that I trained and could do um could actually do the coaching because I thought, okay, there's gonna be so many clients, I'm gonna need all these coaches when really only ended up getting like three clients, um, and only one of which that actually paid. Three the two of the other ones were on the free trial. The idea was, hey, I'll give you, you know, 30 days for free and in exchange for testimonial at the end. And the idea was after these 30 days, uh, if they wanted to continue, I would offer it to them for a six month commitment now, uh, which was $125 a month. Um, and so over six months, it was, that was the, uh, how that worked. And we had gotten the clients at the co incubator, but they didn't really feel like so much as clients, as more of roommates that are paying a little bit higher fee to live in this environment that we're creating. Um, so, this, when I got my first deal with that business, which she um, had to like send me $125 over PayPal. And when that $125 like hit my bank account and like the PayPal account, I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. I was 19 at the time. You made first. money. First time you, you build a business you create a product and you sell someone the product, you're like, wow, like this is business crazy. I I thought this was just for the adults. I didn't know I could do it too. Um, and that was my perspective at that time. So that was really, really cool. Um, and then from there, that business, I continued doing a lot of sales calls and that was on top of studying at the time, which was, you know, 20, 25 hours a week, uh, class and homework, that kind of thing, typical college schedule. Um, and then after class, I would come home, do sales calls for study abroad student of business. Um, and that, you know, looking back on it, that was such a hard product to sell, but it was that experience and, you know, talking about the failure that, and what you learned from the failure, it was, you know, the hundreds of sales calls that I did that taught me how to sell and, um, set an appointment on Calendly, how to DM someone on Instagram just from a random follower that you have to book a call with you, then how to frame the call, how to actually talk to them and then how to, you know, close them on the call or not close them on the call. Um, So that was super, super helpful for me to do. And so like,
1: sorry. So you're just saying basically that you were able to learn the process from A to Z through that right ever so then you were ready for when like you had what you felt like was an even better product
2: so i wouldn't say it was uh i, I you know with entrepreneurship and you know personal development always got to be learning so i don't think at least me i don't think i can ever be a 10 out of 10 perfect all-star yeah. right? um because there will all be you don't know what you don't know and maybe you guys have heard that before but it's totally true yep um and
1: You got to get the experience some way.
2: Right. And, and it's so, usually through failing. Yeah. yeah, a lot of failing. And so I learned a lot from that business um, and then put it in kind of hibernation mode. And me and one of the um, roommates who was also one of the clients, um, but ended up being a, a really good friend of mine. Um, this is Manu from, from France. And he and I, um, we had both gotten our dream internships. For him, it was Formula One. Um, at age 18, he was at the time, which is it's incredible. Um, and then for me, it was in Ted, which I thought was, you know, my dream company that I would love to work for because they're impacting so many people and both got these fantastic internships and we thought, Hey, you know, our university offers a lot of internships, but the companies that get the interns have to set partnerships with the university and that kind of limits the amount of internships that are available for the students through the university. Whether that's we have thirty companies from nutrition to um, logistics to let's say um, business development, whatever it is. But those are the only we have, the only ones we have. And we thought it's unfortunate um, we got internships in companies that the university isn't partnered with, and we did it all by ourselves through LinkedIn. And we didn't have a lot of job experience at that time. And so we thought, okay, why can't we teach more people how to do this? Because we thought um, there's got to be a lot of students that want this kind of internship that they don't know how to get. Um, And so we didn't want to make it into a course and then just sell it. uh, Because one thing that I learned from study abroad student was one of the detriments that you know the errors that you can make when you're selling a course online is making the course up front, selling it, and then your users, your your clients, uh, your customers saying, "Oh, I would love to have this and this as well. Can we add this? Uh, or I don't like this. This is not really useful." And so from that experience, I learned what we got to do is we got to have beta testers. Um, we got to do like a six week live course over Zoom, uh, and that's what we did, and we had two people that we got in contact with um, that we had met at different times in the past. Uh, one that actually DM'd Manu over LinkedIn saying, Hey man, I want to get in to work for formula one. How did you do that? He was, he was an easy self, right? He was, he already yeah. wanted it and we could help him. Um, and the other one was the, interestingly enough, he was, a person that I had met through the TEDx talk that I was doing the internship for, and I had heard what he was doing, which was really cool. Um, he was he had his own business, very entrepreneurial. At 19 years old, he was um, 3D printing car parts and selling them, and these were totally functioning oh. car parts, but he could make them at like you know one tenth of the cost, and they were worked all well. Um, it was cool. He had yeah. like three 3D printers in his you know dorm room, and he was printing them and selling them over eBay and just figuring all this stuff out that I was really impressed by that. Um, and it was a tough sell for him because he, he didn't have, uh, he said he didn't have money, but he, what he, he didn't know the guarantee. Um, and I, I just brought something up to him. I said, okay, let's imagine two different scenarios. Let's imagine one that you don't go forward with this, not a problem. And then let's imagine one where, you know, on the off chance you do do this, And you become a multimillionaire by age 30 and you go back to this moment and you tell yourself one thing, what do you think you'd tell yourself? You're like, okay, Ryan, okay, let's do it. Here's my PayPal. I was like, okay, awesome. And we worked with both of them. Um, It only worked for one of them. It was actually the guy that was more entrepreneurial that I was telling you about. His name is Daniel. And he got a really cool opportunity And his mom was having some struggles in work. She was unemployed at the time. And he was based in the UK, in um, Lincoln, England. And he essentially got the opportunity to be a network event coordinator slash organizer for an event in, in Greece in July. And we brought him on in March. And we taught him how to do that for six weeks. So... All the way until April. Then he was sending a bunch of DMs over LinkedIn, having a bunch of calls. And the cool thing was, is this conference was for only high net worth individuals that have multi million dollar net worth. And he he called us one day and told us this. We were like, like we were so happy that we're like, yes, we know this works for you. This works for me. <laughs> this works for me. This works for you. But now we know, like, we have the proof of concept. This can actually help other students. This is fantastic. Um, And so we, we built the course and that is where our student life um, student visa issues, COVID, I had to go back home um, and was trapped legally in the U S for about eight months because of student visa issues and how I like overstayed the visa because of COVID. But then the courts, it was legal. It was just a giant bureaucratic mess. Um, But because of all that, we couldn't continue selling that course um and doing all of that. And so fantastic opportunities. And then uh I did my the semester when I went back to the US, I did it digitally, like over Zoom. Not person you know, some people like the virtual classes. I didn't like it um, compared to the in-person.
1: I didn't like virtual either.
2: Right. And it was even worse because the, the school was in Madrid. So, and I was in PST, so my classes were at like midnight, 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 7 a.m. Oh, wow. This is ridiculous. And uh, my mom, I was living with her at the time. She never saw me attending the classes because I was attending them from midnight to 7 a.m. And she saw me being really lazy in the morning, all that kind of stuff. Um, So I was tired. And I explained it to her, but I don't think she believed me. And this was in late September, early October of a uh, 2020, 2020, 2021 at this point. And she told me, Hey Ryan, if you don't get a job, like I'm kicking you out of the house. Like you're going to be homeless. Um, and I told my, my friends back in Europe about this, uh, like Manu and Bomas, the, the Spaniard and the, the Frenchman. And they're like, like talk about culture shocks. They're like in Spain, the Spaniards, they tend to live with their parents until they're like 28, sometimes even 30 years old, which in the U S is like people kind of look at you in a more negative way. If that's what you're doing, you're kind of expected age 22, you're out of the house, you got the job, you're figuring your stuff out. Um, and so that was a really interesting situation. And she gave me until November 22nd to get a a pain job. And I got a, a job confirmed. It was an internship and therefore they could pay me. Uh, what they paid me was $5 an hour, which is illegal in the U S but because it was considered an internship, they said, well, we don't even need to pay you, but we're going to be nice and we're going to pay you $5 an hour. I'm like, Okay. To me, That's crazy. it's free rent. And this is the ability to stay with a, how a roof over my head and access to food. Um, and so I took that job and I had applied to about 150 maybe even more jobs because I, I didn't care about the job at that point. I was just like shocked.
1: We needed me. something. Yeah.
2: Right. Exactly. I didn't care what it was. Um, and applying to so many and just getting one confirmed. Then I had another one that, that reached out to me that wanted to hire me. And then I had another one. Um, and I ended up by the end of December working these three jobs and doing university at the same time. Um, all of which the jobs paid me, but it wasn't super great. One of them was a, like a, I was running digital marketing for them because of the work I did for Rob dial. And it was like 750 bucks a month, which was good for me at the time. Um, and then, then early January came and I had remembered, Oh, I scheduled a call for as far ahead on her Calendly for the interview as possible because I had two jobs confirmed at that point already. Um, whatever it's, you know, it's a 15 minute call. I'm going to take this call. Worst case scenario, I lose 15 minutes of my time. And this was like, while the interviewer, who's my boss now, Dinah, uh, was calling me. I was, you know, having this thought process. I'm like, Ryan, you're already working three jobs and studying full time. You can't do four. This is like ridiculous. You already, you're already like drowning yourself. It just doesn't make sense to to even talk to her. But I thought, okay, you know, worth, I make another connection those are
1: usually the calls that you should take just because right just see where they go right yeah exactly.
2: and i was so occupied with my studies and the other jobs that i, I picked up the phone i'm like hey this is ryan and because i was so busy uh i said hey i only got you know i know we only have 15 minutes scheduled so i want to make sure we're quick um let me know any questions you have and we can go from there and like she asked me some questions and then um moved me on to the the phase two interview and then passed the phase two interview and brought me on. And this was a straight commission job. So no salary, no base, no anything. Um, and so I knew, okay, I'm, I'm not taking this to make money. I'm taking this more to learn. And I was talking to my dad about this too. Uh, it's a really cool skill to learn like high ticket sales. And you know, if I learn this, I could take that to any industry and whatever it is. Um, And so I took that job and worked it for about a month until the end of February and then ended up quitting the other three jobs. Uh, And it was just such a relief to have, you know, just one job. I really like, like the people, like what I'm learning, see so much opportunity for growth. Whereas in the others I was more of like a, a cheap intern. Whereas you know, Diana valued yeah. me and was training me and was putting an awesome team together. Um, super well connected, and so that was that was a fantastic opportunity. And so I decided. This
1: is where you're at now.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Digital Prodigy, and essentially that that I I remember the first sales call I took in in uh, February. It was uh, it was like a cold call, um, but it was someone who'd responded to one of our ads, like a year prior, so did not have any recollection of ever filling out the ad. And um, the the company officially, officially started in January. She incorporated it two years prior to January, but it wasn't until January that she ditched her, what she likes to call her cozy nine to five with a six figure salary. She went all in, took her severance package and uh, bootstrapped it. She, she calls heel strapped it um, and went, you know, all in with it. And I remember the first call I had, I sounded like the most slimy car salesman you've ever heard. And it was so gross. I, it even felt gross coming out of my my own mouth. And the girl was like, the woman that I was talking to was, you know, very disrespectful to me in return. Which makes sense, as I would probably be the same thing if a slimy car salesman were calling me. just out of habit. Um, and once I got off that call, it was like a two-minute No, not even two minute calls, like 30 seconds. And I thought, Ryan, this is not for you. Do not be a salesman. This is not a good company for you. It's not worth it. Quit. But then I thought, give it a try. Worst thing that happens. One more day. Right. It's like, and I I thought of the, uh, I thought of the moment that, that I was on the TEDx stage in Madrid and I had memorized the entire script. uh, 18 minutes was like seven pages. And the moment I got up on the the TEDx stage and like the light was shining on me, I took a deep breath and like the entire thing I had memorized just went out my head. Like I remembered nothing of what I had memorized. And so, but fortunately I knew the framework. I knew the story. It was, you know, talking about a personal story of mine. I knew what I learned from it. So it wasn't that hard to um, tell the story without sticking to a script. Um, and nobody knows your script when you're, you know, giving a speech. So they don't know if you're messing up or not messing up. Um, but after I got off that stage, I was so embarrassed that Ryan did horrible. Now looking back on it, like a year or two later, um, I was like, you did a good job. It's
1: pretty crazy to get up on stage and talk like that. Like it takes a lot. So I, yeah, Yeah. I've always struggled. Honestly, I talked about this before on the pod, but like getting up here and at least we We did some face to face with some people that we didn't know, but just constantly getting in front of a camera and mic and talking to people and having solid conversation, you learn a lot that way, but I've always struggled with getting up on stage and having to talk like that, so I think I feel you
2: it's one of the most um I heard this statistic the other day more people fear public speaking than death, which is like just crazy mm, that wow. Would actually, yeah. it, you know, dive and get on a stage and talk.
1: Um, I don't know if I, I would say that, but like maybe in the <laughs> moment, maybe in the moment, I'm like, uh, that sounds like somewhat appealing. yeah.
2: <laughs> right. And it was, you know, in, in that moment that I was like, Ryan, you can get off stage. You can walk off stage right now and nobody's going to know. The video is not going to go up on the TEDx YouTube channel. It's all good. Um, but then I thought, Ryan, you worked a year and a half of sending applications of scripting, of figuring all this out to be on the stage right now. Like if you're going to, you deserve it. Right. If yourself. you're going to fail, fail big. I think that's like a common Texas phrase or something. It's like, you got to fail big if you're going to fail. And so I thought, you know, fuck it. Like, let's just do this try And like, figure it out. <laughs> you got this. Um, and, you know, we were talking about like getting out of your comfort zone. Um, and that was one of those moments that, was a huge step out of my comfort zone so actually staying on that stage. Um, and so where was I? Um, that is what led me to digital prodigy. Um, it's a really cool company that I'm super lucky to work for. Um, we did,
1: I had one question yeah. about the, the business model. Sure. So do you guys have developers, on in your company that are helping make the applications, or are you working with the companies that have their own developers?
2: So we uh, we work with founders, entrepreneurs, SMB owners, um, coaches, speakers, authors, people that have a random app idea but don't know how to bring it into reality. People that maybe they've said, "I got an app idea. Why is this not an app yet?" You think it is, you know that kind of thing. Um, so they, we have the entire development staff. Uh, we got seventeen developers now, uh, two two lead designers, two project managers, uh, Diana, the CEO, and then me and two other um, of the sales team with that, Eric and Cam, fantastic salespeople. Um, and we're we're definitely loving it. Um, and you guys, that sounds dope. It's really cool, and you guys are really familiar with startups and how hard the grind is. Um, And me after like starting three of my own, that all failed and never made it past like four figures in revenue. It, uh, I knew taking a big risk if you're just starting with a company, that's a startup. Um, but we, from January to July, um, we made it to seven figures. So a million dollars in sales, which was, you know, incredible for a startup. Um, and I remember the moment we made it past seven figures, um, it was like a, a sale that I did. And so it was really, it just felt really cool to like
1: You're contributing to something like- at,
2: at the end of our, the, our end of day, you know, call, I said, Hey guys, you saw that notification. We made it to seven figures and we wanted to make it to seven figures in seven months. Cause it just has a cooler ring to it. Seven and seven.
1: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
2: And so we made it like, I think it was the last day of July. So we had just barely made it. Um, and it's, it was kind of a mystery at first as to why it was such a successful company so fast. And then we realized, um, interestingly enough, the entire staff has the same personality type. And so this was by pure chance. It wasn't like, Hey, take a Myers-Briggs 16 personalities test for your interview. It just happened. Like we we talked to the people, all the team interviewed them and then we decided to bring them on. We're like, Hey, can you take this personality test? We're just curious what your personality type is. ENFJ, yeah. ENFJ, ENFJ. And we're like, what the heck is going on? This is
1: cool. I'm ENFJ.
2: You are. <laughs> Perfect.
1: <laughs> you guys got any developer positions open?
2: <laughs> we will put you on the front end, get you out of your comfort zone. And uh, so. We, yeah,
1: yeah, I do more back end.
2: <laughs> it's, uh, the, the, the chemistry that we have is incredible. Um, and we're doing some really cool stuff. And that's definitely one of the main things that brought us to that seven and seven. Um, Is the chemistry that we have as a team. Um, I went to uh, the Ryan Panetta mastermind in Vegas like a month ago or at the end of September. And a lot of these business experts were talking about scaling and like, what's the trick to scaling? How do you scale? How do you bring your company from, you know, 100,000 to 10 million? And the main thing that all of these business experts were saying was, it's the team, it's the people. Um, And once you have that, that's how you, you know, you want to pick a players, like taking that right out of the mouth of a like you're going to take a players and then get them working for your company and some really cool stuff can happen. Um, And so I, when I started there, I had no idea about mobile app development, nothing. I mean, I I could open my phone and look at apps and like play on apps or use apps, but that was pretty much all I knew. Um, Yeah. And then once, I started learning like the statistics. Um, I get some crazy stuff. And on a lot of the calls online, I talk to these these entrepreneurs, these business owners, and tell them these things and their minds are just blown. They're like, wait, why don't I have an app for my business yet? Um, Because apps right now are like in this weird phase um, where websites were in the late 1990s where half of businesses are saying, um, yeah, I'll get a website. I'll make the website. I'll get on the internet. The other half are saying, you're getting a website and you're wasting money on the internet. What are you doing? So it's it's in that phase yeah. right now, which is really interesting, you know, place to be. And um, one of these one of these uh, statistics, which is how many hours do you think were spent on mobile apps worldwide, Google Play and iOS um, in the last quarter of 2021? So globally, all the phones on the planet, Android and iPhone, how many hours do you think we're spending? In
0: three on? months.
2: In three months, yeah.
0: I would say the average person probably spends, what, a third of, maybe not a third, uh, like a quarter of their t- total lifetime maybe on their phone. I wouldn't be that surprised if some people's screen time is like six hours a day, right? so what is this 6
1: like 100 years or something
0: so it's 6 it times times 180 days times the number of people with phones in the world for three, i'm i'm just going to guess 90
2: days for the last quarter
0: oh 90 days yeah. a quarter thank you there yeah. uh let's see i'm just going to guess wait it, what unit should we be in? Should we be in hours, days, years? Years. years. What unit? Do-
2: years, John. You years. Were on the right path.
1: Higher? Oh, yeah, higher or lower?
2: You were right with years. I'm not going to give you a hint more than that.
1: Okay. That like 250 years.
2: Okay.
0: I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Ten million years.
2: 53 million years. Oh shit. I was like, you're way too high. <laughs> 53 million years. I heard that. I was like, That's
1: what? insane. What?
2: People spend that much time on mobile apps? Like, it makes sense, but it, like just hearing that yeah. it, it's really, really surprising. Um, and then I was I was uh talking to some some people in, in the Bay Area, like you are Ahmed, and They, their friend actually had a built a mobile app which was a super super basic mobile app. Um, it's do you guys have iPhones or Androids?
0: iPhones, iPhone.
2: Okay, so you guys have you're familiar with the alarm clock app, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, so this app is the exact same as the alarm clock app on iPhone, except you guys know how the iPhone counts your steps. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, to turn off the alarm you have to take 15 steps and they charge you nine So make sure you to turn it off. Like wake right? up. You bit? wake up, you move and you need to take the 15 steps to turn it off. Um, and so that they charge $9, 99 month subscription, like a Spotify or like a YouTube premium. Um, and how much, when I heard this, I was like, how, why did I not start working in mobile apps sooner? How much do you think they're making per month? And I, I talk to a lot of people about this, and it's always interesting to see their guests because it, it always gives me a...
1: Six figures a month.
2: Okay, six figures a month. Okay, Ahmed, what do you think?
1: Maybe say even seven figures, I don't know.
0: Um, I, I would gu- I would guess maybe 30,000 a month. Okay.
2: So a lot of people I talk to, they always say something similar to you, Ahmed. They're like 5,000, 10,000, pops 30,000, 60 million a month, which is... <sighs> <laughs> or a, you know, alarm clock app. like what the heck
1: you just need to find something that people need in their lives yeah. like that you can fill a certain need right
2: exactly and they're they've got a really cool target audience. Is you know the people that need to be awake for their first meeting of the day that are willing to pay nine dollars 99 cents to make sure they're awake for that important you know
1: a doctor scrum. and has to get up for surgery or exactly, something
2: right yeah um instead of people that will you know have that habit of instantly snoozing their phone right it's the people that they're like I need to be awake to go do important stuff. I'm willing to pay $9, 99 cents a month. Um, So like hearing stuff like that, it was just really cool. Um, And then hearing like some of the apps. I
1: think it's smart that, uh, sorry, I I think it's smart that instead of doing a one-time purchase, they got into the subscription. Mm -hmm. So then they like constantly have revenue so they can keep improving the product too. I don't know how much they're putting into that, but yeah.
2: Yeah, the, the MRR model is we call it the premium premium model at Digital Prodigy, but to have that recurring revenue is is really really cool model to have. Um and we've done some some really cool apps, like one it's really interesting. We had we actually found them on uh, I think it was GoFundMe, you know, like the, the crowd, crowdfunding site. Yep. Um and they were working on a problem because these their four parents all which had um, a close family member abducted, like a child, uh, someone under eighteen. And we reached out to them, and we brainstormed with them, and we ended up working with them. And essentially, what we're doing with them is like reinventing the Amber Alert, because the Amber Alert, there's a lot of bureaucratic stuff you have to pass through to actually get your child posted on an Amber Alert. Like you have to have a photo of when they were abducted and all this other kind of stuff that a lot of parents might not have, but they want to save their child. So they, they want to figure this out. Yeah. Um, and the, these four parents, they have a, a series on Hulu too, which is called the missing um, really cool show. And it's, it's just really cool to, um, you know, as a team, we always talk about this is like technology can be bad. Like there's a lot of bad technology out there. Not that's just like not good technology, but it's built with negative intentions. Um, but we really like to thrive on what we call positive disruption. Um, so doing app projects like 911 missing another one, um, this woman came to us after a close friend of hers took an Uber in North Carolina, went missing for a week and ended up getting murdered. And she said, Hey guys, I want to build an all-female Uber app, like, um, a rideshare app that has only female drivers and only female passengers. Um, It's called just her ride share. And she came to us with the idea. And we built it for her. She went on the six months later, she went on the news in Chicago. Next day, got four calls from investors doesn't have to work another day in her life. Um, And then we're able to help all these women feel safer and you know, the rides that they're ordering and all that kind of stuff. if, how does that's that business? Awesome.
1: How does it go on your side where you're negotiating? Like, if we make this app, do you get any benefit when the app succeeds? Like,
2: great question. So, we our model right now is we make all of our money on the front end. So, you okay. pay us for development, and we build the app for you, and we market it for you, and that's all included. It's all baked into the same price. um We even guarantee 1,000 users in the first month because of our, our ASO tactics that we've gotten really, really good at. Um, and
1: I guess you wouldn't take the client if you didn't think that you could get them that number. Right. And or if the app is like the idea isn't. Yeah.
2: Right. And they have, we even have a, the guarantee of 1000 users with, within the first 30 days or you get a $5,000 refund. So like, that's how confident we are um, with that. Could
1: you just repeat that? I think it, it yeah, I think perfect. it just skipped out for a sec.
2: So um, you can hear me now, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, you're good. Just, I guess the rebate part.
2: Okay. Um, so, this is we guarantee 1,000 users within the first 30 days, or we give you a $5,000 refund. Um, so that's how confident gotcha. we are in the, the ASO tactics that we use. Um, so that's that's really cool. That's what we're that's doing. Awesome. Yeah, it is. Um,
1: that's. Just, I did feel like the conversation came full circle in the nick of time, but yeah. Uh. Was did there was there anything else, other specific points you wanted to get across first before we ask our final questions? Or
2: let's see here. Um,
1: I feel like it. It all started to tie together right at the end. I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, was cool. it was cool.
2: I mentioned the the website thing of like websites in 19, late 1990s being mobile apps right now. Um, we always talk about the the blockbuster Netflix example, which we all know. You know, Netflix was. Yeah. Gonna be. No. They wanted to be bought out by Blockbuster, but it didn't. And then look where it is now, you know. So that's they it, took over where mobile apps are at this point. um So I'll open the floor for your last question.
1: Thank you. Well, yeah, no, I feel like that makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, we're only more and more becoming reliant on our yeah. mobile devices. I mean, we're way beyond that point. But like now, VR, AR, and stuff related, hmm. we're gonna be like soon escaping into a reality in terms of that, right? And also there's this common thing that I've noticed in web development because I usually I've done apps before, but I mostly do web development. And that is like whenever you get it on a mobile device, it never looks as good as it does on the yeah. actual computer. Mm-hmm. So it's better to sometimes have an alternative app to complement the uh, desktop.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Like LinkedIn.
0: Yeah. But, uh, you um, got
2: the website and you got the yeah. app.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I, I remember seeing I don't remember the actual statistic but I remember seeing a statistic that showed like a pretty significant like um, uh, amount of the population uses their smartphone as like their primary computer and i I had never knew that right because I work a job where my entire job is on a computer and I use. I have a personal laptop that I use on a daily basis, but for a pretty large group of people, you you have your phone and your phone is way more than powerful enough to do everything you would need on a computer. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that's exciting for the like mobile app industry and everything that also touches it. Um, But Ryan specifically for you in terms of my like final question, um, so you've, you have like a crazy, crazy story that you've told us, but, um, what's next?
2: So right now, um, I am working on a project that, um, I also, uh, talked to Diana about this. She's all good. You know, no non-compete saying we're, we're going to fire you if you work on another project at the same time. So we're all good there. Um, a lot of the coaches and speakers and authors that I talked to on these you know sales calls to build mobile apps for them, uh, I realized, okay, I can actually help them with something that I know how to do. Um, and that's what I started doing. So what that is is getting them on the TEDx stage because a lot of coaches, authors, speakers, they want that, you know one level up of the personal credibility, personal branding, um, maybe it's to fight the imposter syndrome they have or whatever their reasons are. Um, and so a lot of these conversations I have, I, you know, I'll ask them at the end. Okay. And, you know, I could tell you're such a, a thought leader just from the conversation we had. And they genuinely are some amazing people that I'm talking to. Um, yeah. Why haven't you done a Ted talk yet? And the response I normally get is, I don't know how nobody's ever asked me to invite me on the stage. I didn't
1: know I could. Yeah.
2: Right. And I say, if I can get you on the stage within the next six months guaranteed, would you be interested in that? And they're like, Oh my gosh, yes. Like here's my email. Let's make this happen. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm working on now is developing that. Um, we're going to be opening the first, starting the first actual beta course, um, on December 12th and taking on the first cohort of 12 people. Um, because we want to make sure we get the, actually can deliver with those first 12 people that we bring on. So it can't be, you know, 400 people. It's gotta be 12 people that are very qualified, well vetted, and we're ready to get on the stage. So that's my next step. And that's yeah. kind of currently in process at the, at the moment.
0: That's awesome. That's, that's sick.
2: awesome. So
1: you, you, you know, because you had already interned there, what type of candidates that they want to put up on the stage. So you just kind of work with them and, right so i that's the plan Yeah, in- you have some insider info in a way
2: it was from interning there as well as um getting on the first the first stage i got in madrid like a year ago and then i have my next talk on the november 6th and that's a tedx uh oh. rayford pool which is in lincoln england the same place daniel well, i mentioned to you before is is located at mm-hmm. um and so i thought okay if i did it once and I confirm my second spot. haven't given the talk yet. You got that in what, two weeks, something like that. Um, I, why can't I help other people do it if I know how to do it? And turns out a lot of these people actually, they want to do TED talks, TED talks, but they just never thought they actually could. And that's where I can help them.
1: Yeah. It definitely comes off as one of those things where it's like very selective and you have to be like reached out to or something, you know?
2: Right. It's, uh, but I feel yeah. like I've, well, I was, I was just going to say, uh, oh. it's some, sometimes you're invited, but, um, the, the, the part is just finding the application and applying and knowing how to frame your idea, right. Um, to be able to get, have a higher chance of being accepted. Um, gotcha. So that's the strategy.
0: Yeah.
2: Without yeah,
1: giving no. away too much of the secret sauce.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for, for joining us on the Black Box podcast. Um, do you have any like social media that you'd like to share? I, don't, I mean, any anything. Like, I know you said you have that TED Talk coming up. That's really exciting. By the time this airs, you will be a two-time TED Talk participant, not
2: yeah. knocking
0: on wood, but yeah. I know you're going to kill it for the second time. But, um,
2: for sure. Um, I would yeah, say- anything
0: you want to join?
2: LinkedIn, um, Ryan Brady is my LinkedIn account. I don't know if there's a special tag you have to give for LinkedIn. Um, but that's where I'm primarily on LinkedIn. Um, that's where I do the majority of my work on. Um, and going to be piping up the, you know, turning up the the Instagram soon. Um, but right now it's just, I literally have two posts since 2014. So it's always just been like a, I think it's been a deep, deep like problem I've had or insecurity or whatever it is of like, no, I can't post on Instagram or I, I don't want to. I think that's what it was. Um, but I know come new year, I'm going to be really pumping it up on Instagram, making awesome content for to help people, whether that's coaches, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, um, college students on how to get their internship. I'm still deciding on which content I want to be posting on that account. Um, but Ryan Brady Four is my Instagram account. So LinkedIn and Instagram are, are what's best right now.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. Of course, if uh, they, well, thank you, man. If they want
2: to as well. They can also follow digital prodigy on Instagram. Um, digital prodigy with a double E at the end. We had a a company that we are uh, suing with a cease and desist right now because they're uh, digital prodigy with a Y at the end. And we trademarked the name and um, they've been, they're like a very scammy company. They've scammed people, and like you can go on a Facebook group, people complaining about the scams. And so we just had to get that covered. It's Double E, not the Y.
0: Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Nice. You gotta Thank, clear that up for first, yeah. clarifying that sure.
0: though. Yeah, but um, to everyone else, I'll make this quick. At Black Sp- at Black Box Podcast, no no A in the black everywhere. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week.